My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Peter Curtis, president and CEO of PMC Group One. As the author of Maintaining Mission Critical Systems in a 24-7 Environment, a guide to designing, operating, and maintaining mission-critical equipment and systems, and a bestseller in its class, Curtis shares his deep industry acumen in critical infrastructure engineering focused on business resiliency, data center efficiency, and green power technology with mission-critical facility engineers and operators. We had him on the podcast today to discuss the considerations around these types of environments. We go into the design process, the types of technology that should be implemented, what to ask of a consultant or installer, as well as the necessity to train staff to make sure that these environments continue to run. As Peter mentions, one hour of downtime in these types of environments can cost a company millions of dollars in revenue. With so much experience in the field, Peter truly gives incredible advice throughout this podcast. Anyone interested in learning more about mission critical systems and critical infrastructure should give this interview a listen. Enjoy. Before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Peter Curtis, President and CEO of PMC Group One. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, Peter has done a ton of work. He's published uh, books and, and uh, kind of the work that he does uh, really revolves around mission critical systems. And I'm going to let Peter kind of describe what those are and, and where those uh, play into. So, uh, Peter, why don't you go ahead? What types of environments require mission critical systems? And really, it's any any business or infrastructure that needs to operate 24-7, uh, 24 by 7 um, every single day and cannot have any uh, downtime. And uh, these critical infrastructures are the critical infrastructures that allow our society to uh, operate um, uh, seamlessly, uh, especially uh, in uh, today's environment. Now, I, I think uh, a lot of people might uh, think of control rooms. Is, is that an apt comparison for mission critical uh, environments? Sure, but you know when you look at or uh, any vertical of business uh, that is occurring in the world today, every business is mission critical, and uh, the verticals that are out there, every one of these uh, different business lines have, whether it's transportation, healthcare, uh, banking and finance, co-location, they all go back to some type of processing facility, which is called a data center, uh, in some respects. 
In other respects, we are hyperscaling uh, some of the processing that's occurring today. And with that uh, hyperscaling uh, comes complexity with critical infrastructure. And so a control room, sure, a command center, absolutely. Um, and, and you could you could go from like a, 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 a business that is just uh, retail to um, a, um, a facility um, that really needs to be protected if, uh, and uh, secured by first responders. And um, so it's every business that's out there. No business is immune and every business needs some type of critical infrastructure. Now, uh, I think a lot of people in our audience will will think security and only security when they are thinking of uh, mission, mission critical systems and infrastructures. Is, is that the case? Is it really a security play or are there other uh, benefits or, or kind of considerations that are involved? So security is just a very, very small piece of this. When we look at uh, critical infrastructure and we look at businesses that need to run um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, basically forever, um, you have um, a, a real challenge. Security is only one piece of it. You have an area of facilities process management or, or critical infrastructure uh, management that needs to have um, roles and responsibility, culture, um, uh, throughout its enterprise, the proper procedures to be able to respond to a critical event when something unfolds. And that could be as simple as uh, having a, a blackout to as something as a circuit breaker opening, opening up in a uh, facility. So you need process, you need procedure, you need training, and security is just a very, very small part of it. But when you do talk about security, it's physical security today, and it's also cybersecurity. And so we have to be aware and um, continually learning uh, what these next um, events are that we have to prepare for. And security, again, is a very, very important part, but all the pieces uh, are very important as well. Yeah, you know, I, I know that there's a certain number of end users, and especially with smaller companies that uh, will go out and outsource uh, their kind of mission critical needs. They'll, they'll go and find an IT services provider, especially for, to your point, cybersecurity. Uh, and then that IT provider would have a mission critical system and, and the 24-7 support. Where's that line of demarcation where a company should uh, think about investing in technology for their own mission critical systems versus kind of outsourcing that work? Well, the line really starts when, you, when you're designing a new facility, you need to start with a document called the basis of design. That document really has every stakeholder at the table the, in the boardroom to discuss what their needs and requirements are. And it's a vetting process when this occurs. And so as that unfolds and people are aware of the risk and the resiliency that this facility requires, um, that is really the beginning of where uh, we identify how we're going to take this facility and or critical infrastructure and build it to the risk factors that we need to advert um, during this process. And that only comes out during that base, those basis of the law of design discussions because um, you need to really sit down and vet out all the ideas because every business line within that enterprise, within that corporation, has different needs and different require, uh, requirements, 
and different reliability standards. So you need to identify all that because if you don't identify it, you're spending a lot more money than you need to. And you're, you might say to yourself, well, we'll just make everything a tier four, which is the highest level of reliability and redundancy that you could provide. We'll just do that. Well, that's not the answer. That That is a very, very expensive approach. But if you identify and say, all right, this section of our business only needs to um, be up 99% of the time. But then here we are with the processing of, of, of uh, monetary um, and closing of transactions every day. Well, you may want that to be um, a tier four opposed to a tier one. So you really have to define your requirements. You really need to know how much your cost when you are down for an hour. When I say down, you can't process, you can't do anything. What does that mean to your business? Are you losing a million dollars an hour, $10 million an hour, or $200 million an hour? And by the way, I've dealt with customers that have basically had all these different uh, uh, costs per, per hour uh, in problems when their facilities have gone down. And a lot of times when these facilities go down, it's because of human error. Um, and and that's, that's a real challenge. So the basis of design, if you really do a good job with that, you really can have the proper facility that you, that you need uh, for the life cycle. So now let's let's assume that, you know, the end user has decided that we want to utilize our own mission critical environment and they have to kind of build it out from scratch. And you obviously just mentioned that that the basis for design is really where you start. But can we go into that a, a bit more? You mentioned tier one to tier four. How does that play into it? And and kind of on top of that, uh, what are the basic technologies? And, and obviously, I understand that every environment is going to have, you know, a, a ton of different considerations that they can go in there. But for someone that is is just getting their feet wet, going into the mission critical environment and thinking about building that type of space, what are the basic types of technology that they should expect uh, to have to implement in, in such an environment? Well, from a critical infrastructure standpoint, when now we're talking about the infrastructure, such as uh, standby generators, uninterruptible power supplies, uh, automatic transfer switches, static tra transfer switches, high-end cooling, uh, environmental control, uh, these are just some of the pieces and parts uh, that you need. You need to be able to power your building uh, with pure power. When I say pure power, it needs to be conditioned. Just as you condition your water, you need to condition your power as well. And if you can condition your power, um, then uh, and you put in the appropriate UPS systems and power conditioning uh, systems and you design your distribution the appropriate way, well, then you're not going to have the problems that um, a lot of people may have. But you also have to, it's not just about buying the equipment, you also have to test and commission it properly. So there's a whole facilities process management. But the challenge, again, is you go into these facilities, whether it's a legacy facility or a brand new facility, and you need to do something, you really need to have a, a, a consultant that really understands the market and the geographic areas and the challenges within those geographic areas as well. Uh, sometimes you don't have a choice of where you're going to put these critical infrastructures, and they exist, and you can't. You, maybe the, the budgets and funding is not available to go do a, a brand new green site, uh, and you have to live what you, what, what you have. So during those points, 
you really have to sit down and identify what your needs are. And by the way, you know, the needs are changing every, every year at least. And, and, and the needs are changing because companies are acquiring new companies. They're, they're inheriting uh, legacy uh, critical infrastructures and data centers. Now they have to bring this real estate portfolio into theirs. They run and manage different ways. So there's no consistency. And what, what, I am all about what my company is all about. What I've been doing over the years is trying to provide culture within an enterprise that allows for the, a proper uh, life cycle of care for a, a complex uh, building. And, um, you know, I use the analogy quite frequently that when you buy a, an automobile, it comes with an owner's manual. But you could spend $100 million to $500 million to build out one of these complex new critical infrastructures. And guess what? It doesn't come with an owner's manual. What it comes with is a truck of information um, that will sit on someone's uh, shelves uh, for a, a, you know, a very long time, and you're not able to leverage that information. So you really have to think about what this one from the, from the basis of design right on to the transition of operations, you really need to put controls in place that allow you not only to buy the uh, generators and UPS systems and transfer switches and other equipment, but you really need to know how you're going to manage that facility once you are handed the keys. And uh, most times, I will say, you don't have the proper uh, programs in place when the owner gets the keys after a design is done. And again, these buildings, anywhere from 100 to $500 million. So how do you go and make an investment like that and not see the value of having uh, the appropriate uh, uh, life cycle uh, process um, in, inherited in um, the basis of design and the plans and specifications of a facility of this nature? Yeah, that leads uh, that leads very nicely into my next question, uh, which is about the operation and maintenance of these types of systems and these types of environments. Uh, what should end users know about it? And and you mentioned that you'll have a consultant coming in and 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 helping you to build the space and and helping you to outfit it. Uh, basically, employees. How do you how do you make sure that you have the right employee or employees in place to oversee this system? How do you make sure that the consultant is giving those employees the information that they need to make sure that the system is running correctly? Basically, what do end users need to know about the operation and maintenance of these systems once they are uh, implemented? Well, I mean, that's a very good question. And the answer um, is it's all about training. It's all about education and a continued improvement process, not just with people, but equipment and, and, uh, and the facility itself. So you, you really have to have a mindset that you're going in to this. You're spending 100 to $500 million to build out this critical infrastructure. Okay, that's great. So you, you get the right design team in place. You've got the proper basis of design. You've got the right tier level as, as it identifies the risk level of that facility, you have that. Now you have all the equipment and the, the, the building will operate appropriately. But the, now comes the really challenging part. Because of all of the downtime that occurs in this industry, not all, 65% and even greater than that comes from human error. And so education becomes a really uh, instrumental tool to make sure that uh, we train people appropriately with, with these infrastructures. Now, the challenges that we have today is 
um, the kids that are graduating from uh, college are not prepared to enter the mission-critical world because that's not what they're learning. They're learning electrical, mechanical, civil engineering, structural engineering, but they're not learning how to operate anything. The colleges don't teach that. And so through my programs and what I teach and preach is basically you get someone in a new facility, um, well, let's do a skills assessment. Let's see what skills they have and identify those skills and identify the strengths and weaknesses. And if you know what the strengths are, that's fantastic. But to, to know what the weaknesses are, it's even more important. And so if you can identify those weaknesses and put a program, educational program together to help bridge the gap so they become strong in those weaknesses, now you're really um, taking that 65% of the downtime that comes from human error and reducing it to maybe Maybe you can get it down to um, 30%, 25%, where it still comes from human error. But that's, that's a pretty big improvement when you look at it. So education, training, continuous improvement process uh, needs to occur continually. And if it doesn't, you're going to put yourself at risk and you're going to put your company at risk. These people that run uh, the buildings really are responsible for the bottom line of, of, of these companies. And if this infrastructure doesn't work, the companies cannot do business. And sometimes um, the financial group, the accounting group, they don't really understand. Everyone's trying to value engineer uh, dollars as so to, to make, get the project uh, less expensive. But that's not the proper approach because one outage could cost, as I mentioned, a million to up to you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, an hour or per day, depending upon your business. And when you look at the companies that are out there and, and the enterprises and the amount of uh, data centers and critical infrastructures that are out there, um, this is an industry that's growing, but the, uh, uh, another challenge is uh, in the next five to seven years, half the people are retiring. So how do we bridge the knowledge gap and how do we empower the, the people that are retiring uh, over the next five to seven years with and the importance of saying, hey, if you guys could spend some time and take your knowledge and transfer it to the younger generation, then we have a real opportunity. And the way I approach that within my uh, organization is we have software platforms uh, uh, that are out, uh, that we have that help manage the facilities process uh, of a critical infrastructure. And part of that is education and training. Part of it is uh, doing the proper inspections every day. Another part is ensuring that you have the proper procedures, which could be alarm um, response procedures, emergency action procedures, uh, standard operating procedures. If you have these, this stuff in place and people can study it and you have it in a, in a digital uh, device, you have a real opportunity not only to get the best people on your staff trained appropriately, but anybody that comes into this facility in the future, you have an orientation program that's built in, and everybody's learning the same way with consistency throughout an enterprise. So you're building culture within the organization. So it's, it's a, there's a whole process through this. And I've been to a lot of different facilities throughout my career, and I've seen lots of interesting things that I cannot mention on this uh, podcast, but what I can say is um, a lot of the times people are not trained appropriately or an incident happens because someone value engineered 
uh, something out. And an example of that would be, and then I'll slow up for a little bit to give you an opportunity to answer, ask a couple of other questions. But um, the, we, we know we had a couple of hurricanes down in Florida. Um, I had uh, I was I was working on a project. It was for a communications company, and uh, we had the hurricane. Uh, we recommended doing certain things on the the generator. They didn't agree that uh, they wanted to spend the money there. Well, hence you have the hurricane, and then they have um, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage because they don't want to spend uh, an extra you know five thousand dollars on a part. Hmm. And so those are the types of incidences that happen and. They're very avoidable, um, and um, so th these are the challenges that we face with um, training people and uh, identifying skills when the colleges don't teach this and the trade skills don't teach it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm certain that everyone in our audience would would agree with you that human error is a huge, huge, huge uh, piece of, of the puzzle. And I'm glad that you also mentioned, you know, that the technology, of course, plays a part as well. Now, uh, Peter, you're the author of a book called Maintaining Mission Critical Systems in 24-7 Environments. And one of the things that you talk about uh, is efficiency, the efficiency factor uh, of data centers in mission critical environments. Could you go into that? What, what makes a data center efficient versus inefficient? Is it the people or is it the technology? Well, I mean, you could talk to it from both places. Um, from a um from an efficiency standpoint, it's the equipment that you buy, for sure, because you want the equipment to be efficient. You want to make ensure that they're um, loaded properly with the proper equip, um, um, uh, servers and uh, equipment that you would use. Um, but there's also a people part. And if you don't have a culture and a process in place, so you, you could become inefficient operationally, um, and if you're inefficient operationally, then you're not setting your thresholds on the equipment appropriately. So, for instance, cooling within a data center environment uh, is a very important aspect and a very costly aspect. And if you don't have your proper thresholds and set points uh, calibrated appropriately, well, then that data center might spend another 10 or 15 percent on uh, cooling when you don't need to spend that if you is adjust your set points higher within the facility according to uh, what we have as um, ASHRAE standards. Um, so, and it's also where you're getting your power from too. So it's it's really from the power plant to the chip as well. And so let's say let's say you want to use a fuel cell for your data center. Well, there's a lot there's a, there's quite a few different types of fuel cells out there, but the fuel cell. Um, can provide efficiencies from, you know, above uh, 60, 65%. And the grid uh, efficiency is only 32, 33%. So that becomes a problem. So you have to, you have to outlay a bit more money uh, for fuel cell, but you'll see um, um, a return on your investment. It may, be, it may not be in one or two years, but certainly over the life of the building, you'll, you'll get your money back many times over. But there are also externalities that most people don't realize when you're uh, looking at um, other alternative energy solutions, whether it be photovoltaic, uh, wind power, um, fuel cells, geothermal technology, uh, any one of these. And so what I have found over the years to really make a, a critical environment um, 
really efficient and robust is that you could blend alternative energy with conventional energy in a way that uh, when the utility grid is out and your generators can't get fuel to it because you've been um, the power's been out for a week or whatever it's been, um, then maybe the alternative energy uh, can provide some capacity to run the processing. Um, um, and as you may have noticed, uh, back uh, several years ago when we had Hurricane Sandy in the Northeast, we were without power for a week, um, 10 days, and even longer in certain areas. And um, I would say if that would have occurred a week later in the, the heating season, this would have been a, a devastating impact um, on, on this area. But one of the things I noticed during that time, people that had data centers down, uh, you know, within a uh, two, 300-mile radius of where the storm was, those data centers were affected too. So you really have to look at not just um, the efficiency with power, but the efficiency with people and the efficiency with processing also, and really identify where those needs are best served uh, within your uh, business. Okay, uh, so obviously there's there's a ton more that we could talk about. Unfortunately, we're coming right up against our time. But before we go, uh, could you tell our audience more about your company, PMC Group One, uh, what it does for uh, its customers in terms of, of what we've been talking about and how they can get in touch with you or learn more about the company? Yes. So uh, essentially, uh, PMC Group One really focuses on risk and uh, uh, and safety. And so we, we have three companies under the PMC group, um, consulting, technology, and analytics. And we also have a, a, a soft company with education and training. Uh, so when you look at all these pieces and parts, the, the consulting practice allows us to provide the best practices for engineering. So that's covered. The technology company and the product that we have under there is called the SmartWalk. Uh, the SmartWalk is that facilities process management tool and the, the tool that allows you to run your critical operations and critical infrastructure for its full life cycle. So when you get, so we finished the design, okay, that's great. Now the construction and everything starts, now we have the opportunity to take all that information and put it into a digital owner's manual that has everything you need to run that facility, train your people, and identify our risks. And then the analytics, Basically, in the future, we'll be writing machine learning uh, and providing scenarios that allow you to predict risk and uh, be able to uh, um, uh, be action-oriented in how you do things. And the education and training, obviously, uh, with the smart work, we'll be embedding education and training from the third edition of the book uh, into the smart work, and that will allow uh, people to learn every day. So I'm, I'm going to be doing micro-learning in the smart walk. So someone learns something every day and it leads to some type of certificate that's, that's all organized in a SCORM compliance way. So that's, uh, that's it. If people need to know where, how to reach us, you just go to the website, uh, www.pmcgroup1one.com, pmcgroup1.com. Also, if someone wants to reach me, just uh, uh, reach out to me at pcurtis at pmcgroup1.com. 
Well, I, I certainly encourage people to uh, check out PMC Group One. Uh, I also encourage you, if you're interested in a lot of what Peter has talked about today, uh, to check out his book, Maintaining Mission Critical Systems in a 24-7 Environment. Uh, Peter Curtis, President and CEO of PMC Group One, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at MyTechDecisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thank you again for listening, and good luck with all of your installations and implementations.